2: Welcome back, everybody, to the Habitat Podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. I'm your host, Jared Van Hees, and it is early August. We are back with another good guest today, John O'Brien from Grandpa Ray Outdoors. John is a Wisconsin resident, um, grown up there, and is very knowledgeable in the ag and seed side of things, as we found out on this episode. He really knows what he's talking about. We learned a ton about different types of seed. But I want to hear what everybody else is doing in their neck of the woods. I actually made it out to my property last weekend with a new sprayer. I sprayed my my food plots um, with some glyphosate for my fall planting, which will hopefully be in two to three weeks. Um just want to know what you guys are up to. So if you if you like, go on Facebook, send us some pictures. Uh, Email them on the website, whatever works good for you, and uh, we'll get some good discussions going. But anywho, that's enough from us. Sit back. Thanks for tuning in again to the Habitat Podcast, and here we are with John O'Brien. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks for that, guys. All right, we are officially rolling after the estrogen comment, and uh, welcome back, everybody. We have John O'Brien on the line along with uh, co-host Jesse. John, welcome, and thanks for coming on tonight.
0: I appreciate you guys
2: having me. Anytime. Now, uh, how we always start this out? We'd like to hear a little bit about you, where you're from, all the dirty details. Kind of helps us and the listeners, you know, know who we're dealing with, if you will. So go ahead and fire it off if you don't mind.
0: Yeah, I uh, live in Madison, Wisconsin, grew up about 30 miles from there, and have lived in the area... Uh, pretty much my whole life, except for going to college. And uh, that's uh, where I got my start and my influences and helped me be where I am today.
2: Okay, and where would you go to school at?
0: I went to college at UW-Platteville, and my majors were egg business and egg economics. And uh, that uh, is not what my original intention was. My original intention was communications, and I've probably been doing kind of something like you guys are doing uh hosting radio shows, or who knows what and um but yeah, I end up
3: egg business a
2: okay, now it seems nice. like you're even you know communicating a lot on a day to day basis um I follow you on on facebook and and your your group on there and whatnot and it seems like you're always on there explaining to us rookies uh one thing one thing or another, so it seems like you're still doing the communicating.
0: Well, and that's pretty much, you know, what uh, what I do with uh, my, you know, I have my businesses, but yet I have a following of people that, uh, you know, follow me a little bit where I post on some of the different social media sites. I also have a, a private education page and forum page on Facebook where um, I have a program membership where, you know, people pay $20 a year. They get, you know, discounts on products they sell. Monthly newsletters, and then they also have access to my O'Brien education page where, um, you know, besides different people posting questions, forum topics, I conduct live Facebook seminars, uh, every other week. So 26 seminars or so a year. And so I'm always talking or typing, I guess I should say.
2: All right. No, that's, that's great. I see, it seems like a lot of us are these days. Um, so, thanks for that. You said you have a son with you now. Are you, uh, how many kids do you have? Just one or?
0: I have a boy and he's going to be nine. And, um, some people that do follow me, uh, once in a while on social media, you might see pictures of him out at, uh, you know, food plots or, you know, different things. And so, uh, my business, um, I, you know, is basically focused on educating the public and also trying to continue hunting fishing the outdoors and uh, youth and kids are a big focus of that and you know he's he's part of it he he gets involved with helping uh, you know do my research planning food plots um and again if you ask him he probably thinks he gets on too many properties um but I try to you know I you know and uh, you know just this week you know he's been on you know a couple properties already with me and you know most nine-year-olds would get a little bit tired you know I that I guess if their choice was doing property tours and recommendations or um playing uh Minecraft or Fortnite on you know on your on your Xbox or whatever you know kids nowadays tend to choose you know technology over the outdoors but it gets a
3: balanceable very nice so now John do you primarily hunt and do Habitat work in Wisconsin, or do you travel to other states?
0: Yeah, I actually, this year, I mean, I travel to different states. I also um, have been a feature speaker at different places, like the um, Louisville, Kentucky Deer and Turkey Expo, um, Madison, of course, is my home area. You know, I, I've done seminars there. Uh, last week, I was, or the week before, I was down in Florida, in Lakeland, Florida, and I was a teacher speaker at the Florida Deer and Um, Forty Expo. But I've also been to Pennsylvania a couple times this year, been to Michigan a couple times this year, Illinois, and so Indiana. Um, So any place that somebody's looking, um, you know, to get extra help on habitat management, I will go, and I just try to coordinate my schedule throughout the year to you know, to be effective with my travels, you know, so we're doing multiple properties in each location that I travel to. So so I'll go just about anywhere that somebody is interested
3: in um, doing better. Well, hey, that, that doesn't sound too bad if uh, you can travel around and see the different properties, meet all the people, and I'm sure you're getting quite a big network and following from that.
0: Yeah, well, that that's, you know, on some of the different sites, people find, you know, see some of the tips, an advice that I'm giving, and um, not everybody knows that. Uh, you know, I spend most of my time on properties, and but yet, uh, you know, through word of mouth and 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 so on and so forth. Maybe guys like you guys in your show. Um, that's even though I, you know, I do a lot of feature speaking and seminars. Where I'm at my best is when I'm on properties, and that's where I prefer to be.
3: Yeah, yeah, I don't blame you. Um, I'd, I'd rather be getting my hands dirty than talking in front of a big crowd and uh, I mean that that that's the fun part right so yeah yeah well that's the consulting background I've had that I've been doing
0: you know since you know 1991 and I'd rather instead of giving generic answers and kind of speak to the masses I'd rather individualize you know my day and get on properties and and give specific answers and uh, work on plans and recommendations for the future because that's where I do my best is, you know, targeting, you know, the individual and treating each person differently and recommending exactly what they need for their own unique situation.
3: Okay, very good. Well, kind of jumping on that, you know, it's uh, August 1st, which is crazy to me. I mean, deer season's right around the corner and days, every morning I wake up, it's a little cooler. But so today in August, I mean, what kind of habitat plans do you have going on this week? I mean, what's your typical August agenda like?
0: Yeah, typically I'd rather be on properties in February, March, you know, through probably July. And I don't like getting on too many properties as we get too close to hunting season. But yet, uh, like this week, Uhm, this weekend, uh, I started at, uh, I have a property that I call it, you know, Extreme Property Makeover. And it's in North, uh, Western Wisconsin where we've also hosted deer schools and on social media people will, can follow different pictures and things we're doing with improving the property. And so that's one place that I go numerous times a month just because we're doing a lot of research. Um, okay. The, the next property I got on was actually another place in towards Marquette, Michigan, uh, kind of a haul from where we started the, the weekend. And it's a friend of mine that we do a bunch of research up there, um, north of Iron Mountain, Michigan area with, uh, research, you know, with the, you know, the shorter season. And then, um, uh, and then of course when we get, when I get back home over the weekend, I'll be, Checking in on how things are growing that I planted the other day on my main research uh, farm, which is 30 miles northeast of Madison, Wisconsin. So, so for me, you know, we're not on too many individuals' properties at this time of year, just because we don't want to be, you know, affecting deer movement and things like that. But we're on properties where people um, are okay with it because we're doing research there.
3: Okay. Oh, that makes sense. And, uh, I, I kind of laughed to myself because you said extreme property makeover. And I was like, just thinking you could have your own HGTV show, you know? <laughs> and actually,
0: I mean, that's one thing that we, you know, there might be things developing down the line as oh, far wow. as we were going to have cameras that, you know, people could, you know, uh, tune in, you know, on, on the computer. But it yeah, is yeah. out in the boonies and, um, reception's a little bit challenging out there, otherwise we'd have it going already. But stay yeah. tuned because that's basically what um, we're trying to target it, or, you know, like is the show, you know, Extreme Property Make, or uh, uh, God, I forgot the name of that show, but uh, um, Home Makeover. And so we're just trying to make it the uh, property version of it.
3: Very cool. You just got to get a good-looking crew and some good actors with you. <laughs> <laughs> well. There, There is uh, one of the hunting shows
0: that I work with uh, was out there doing some filming. Uh, one of the commercials that, um, you know, that, that'll be on their show. Uh, we shot the commercial at that property. So, um, I don't know, stay tuned, I guess.
3: Awesome. Uh, I love it, man. I'm looking forward to kind of jumping back, you know, you said typically in August you like to kind of stay off the properties a little bit. I mean, right now, first week of August, what would you say guys should be kind of focusing and honing in on on their properties?
0: Yeah, so many people ask me, is it truly to plant? When should you plant your food plot? In generally, I, I, I typically say I don't like to recommend planting in July just because it's usually really dry and really hot. This year's yep. kind of been an exception in some areas although there's parts of, you know, of Michigan and, and the upper Midwest where, you know, it has again been, been hot and dry. Um, but once it hits August 1st, for sure, I tell people, you know, in these northern areas of the Midwest, you can start. Uh, for people that are a little bit, you know, in the central United States, you know, probably waiting another two, three weeks. And then again, the people in the south, they generally don't start planting their fall food plots until early September. So If guys have not planted yet, this is the time where I generally, you know, talk to people about, hey, if we got weeds, let's spray them off. Let's wait a week before planting. You know, let's make sure that instead of just rushing to plant your food plots, that, uh, that you make sure the ground is fit. And what I mean by fit is, you know, being, um, not just, you know, weed free, but also being, well, you know, if it was, a period where guys were getting a lot of rain and it was you know um even if it wasn't flooded but the soil was you know super you know moist not ideal for planting into it so again you know if you're not ready to plant yet get out scout look at what you got to work with and then if you don't have a game plan which you know everybody should have had a game plan you know going back to last winter i would hope but if you don't have a game plan that's where people will reach out to me and say. John, you know, I know I want to plant here in the next week or two or three. Um, what should I plant? And so I still work with a bunch of people with uh, on that, you know, through emails, phone conversations, trying to give them a good recommendation on what to plant yet this year.
3: Okay, uh, and you know, it is—it's kind of should I plant now? Should I plant later? Is it too dry? Too wet? And it's <laughs> excuse me, and I know. You know, here in Michigan, we finally just got a good all-day rain yesterday, so it's been pretty dry here. Um, and and that, that's where I see a lot of people asking questions is, when should I plant? But, I mean, really, there's almost no perfect science to it because Mother Nature's different across the country.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's why when people are, you know, asking, what should you plant? You know, or we don't have any rain in sight, It's been dry. Should I still plant? And I guess that that is a, you know uh, you know an issue. It always is an issue. Um, but I generally say is if seed is sitting in the ground and it's the ground is you know bone dry, even if a rain isn't you know expected for a week, that's not all bad. You could plant because the seed's not going to be germing. Then the one case, the one thing you don't want to have happen is um, you know plant. You get some germination, a little bit of growth, and then it gets really dry. And then, of course, the plants die off. So um, every year's different. Every situation is different. Every location is different. And for me to give a good answer, that's where I just ask a bunch of questions, and I'll say, hey, time to go, or maybe you need to wait.
2: Now, John, on on your educational seminar, I think is where I heard this, um, you mentioned that even if it's too wet right now, which – might not be the case for most people, but say you have some real moist ground, uh, even too wet to plant in. Um, did you suggest even going out there and just rototilling it to to expose some of that moisture and get it to evaporate? Um, kind of the yeah. the opposite of what we'd yeah. want to do in a dry time, but in a wet time, you could actually flip the dirt and and get some of that moisture out of there. Is that correct?
0: Well, yeah, there's pros and cons to everything. And generally I say I don't like people to work the ground that much, but myself, I've had a couple of cases this year where I needed to because we've had extreme amount of rain at times in my main education spot in the Alto Grand Parade's farm where we had some four inch rain. The ground got really uh, saturated and, and, and then also in that case, you know, if it gets dry then and hot, it could get compacted in a ground. You know, the ground can even smell, and so I've um, lightly, you know, where you just go across with a harrow, spring tooth, or, you know, a food plot disc, and we're talking about just opening up that top couple inches of ground just to kind of encourage, you know, uh, you know, that ground to dry out again, which, you know, it, it can be a good thing. Um, but the alternative is, you know, in, in typical situations, if you work, every time you work the ground, it's like you're losing a half inch of rain. So again, we're talking about just working the ground to kind of help, um, aerate it to take and condition it because if it's really saturated and you work it and you want to plant it right away, it also can be really clumpy and then you don't have good, you know, seed to soil contact. So again, this year we've had to open up the ground a little bit just to kind of condition it to prep it so that I could do a final planting a week or two after doing that. And again, not very often does this happen, but this has been a year of extremes for so many places around the United States.
2: Right. No, I thought that was very interesting. Uh, I'd never heard that before, so I found that pretty valuable. Um, now, you mentioned the, the Grandpa Ray Farm and earlier some, some educational and research properties. I want to talk about those properties. Um, what are they? What does that mean? And, you know, where are they located? And I guess what what the purpose is. Tell me all about them.
0: Yeah, the main Jiro education farm is um, on land. that uh, A close buddy of mine that I've known since kindergarten, he owns it, and it's right in my hometown uh, area there by Columbus, Wisconsin, which is 30 miles uh, northeast of Madison. And what we have is generally 30 to 40 different blocks of forges, each block is generally 10 feet wide by, um, by 100 to 100 feet long. And so, uh, we have had events every year there. It's always open to the public. I can give people tours. And again, there, um, what our goals are is to show people, Hey, what does rutabagas look like? What does turnips look like? What is, you know, straight just not in the mix? And then we're also, planning different new experimental forges for uh, myself or I also am doing some research for another company. And um and then we're also doing forge testing. So we're measuring growth, tonnage of each of these forges, nutrition quality, because my focus, you know, being a nutritionist is being a nutritionist, <laughs> I can't speak here to that nutritionist, um, is hey, is it ground cover is it, you know, good nutrition? Is it top-end nutrition? And my goal for anybody I work with is I want the most available nutrition that people can buy for their money and plant per acre. So that's the kind of research we're doing at that property.
3: And then, that um, a hunting property
0: too? We um, do also there hunt. There? It, it, it's actually um, a mile from two towns, so it's, you know, not too far from the village limits. But yet there is uh, hunting on that same property, but where we actually place the main education plot, it's closer to the you know uh, to an access road, and so you don't have quite the deer numbers there, which is good because we're trying to conduct research and and again you know we don't have to worry about keeping you know extreme amount of deer out of the property, um, and at least during the you know until it gets into the late fall when you know when we can when our data and our research is done and then we don't mind if deer and they're eating because then you can also get some pretty cool pictures. So, um, so yeah, it's right near two, you know, two towns and that's part of the reason I put it there just because we don't have quite the deer pressure on that experimental
3: property.
2: Okay. And that's just one property though, right? That's not your only educational or research property.
0: Right. We also have the extreme makeover property up in Sparta, Wisconsin, um, that I mentioned earlier. I have a property where we plant education plots in Ladysmith, Wisconsin, which is, you know, four hours north of Madison, Wisconsin, um, up in the upper, uh, Wisconsin area. Um, we have a property up, like I said, between Iron Mountain and Marquette, Michigan, where it's, um, One that we're, you know, planning some of my different mixes and uh, more or less getting pictures and some research for, you know, those northern, you know, climates. I also have a property in Troy, Alabama, which is smack dab between two famous people that everybody would know who they are. And, again, we have a lot of deer on that property. Um, I have a new property that's going on board this fall in the... uh, Florida Panhandle, so stay tuned for that. We have a property in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, between there and Philadelphia, and we also have another new property that I haven't even announced yet, except for I guess you guys might be one of the first places I've mentioned it. But uh, but it's also going to be in uh, in Nebraska. So we're pretty much you know putting new experimental or educational plot properties in um, different parts of the country to test whatever I want to test for new forages in a variety of
3: climates and soil types. Now, since we're Michiganders, I'm just curious, your property up in the Upper Peninsula, do you get many interest from locals or property owners up there on your research? Um We haven't had any open houses
0: and things like that there but, um, but there is a few locals that um are aware of what we're doing there, and um and they weren't doing food plots before, but of course, they're you know either forced to or learn that they need to do it if they want to continue to have deer in their areas so so some, but the other thing, uh another uh area in Michigan that some people might call you know upper Michigan. And it's somebody from Wisconsin. We think of Upper Michigan as up in Escanaba, Houghton and areas like that. But we do have a property that we will, um, we've had uh, events there to send Alpina, Alpena that area. And yes. we've also had, um, uh, we've also had an, a, a day with, um, tours in the closer to the Traverse City area. And okay. in 2019, we don't have a date set up yet, but we're looking at hosting deer school in the Alpena, Michigan area in the, probably May of 2019 where people be able to walk on uh, my customer's property, see different setups, seeing um, new installations of ponds and some other unique stuff. So, um, you know, so we're always doing events, you know, whether it be an official, Um, research or educational um, farm, or I also have friends of Grandpa Ray's that are also willing to let me on their properties and bring the general public out there to see what we're doing.
3: Very cool. uh, I'd i be really interested in that school up in because since we have family property pretty close to there, so it'd be kind of cool to see what's going on. Yep, yep. Stay tuned. May of 2019.
2: No, that's awesome. Um, sounds like you're getting good feedback from these properties or how do you go about collecting what you are testing for and how do you determine what you're testing for, I guess, first.
0: Yeah, some of these prop, most of these other properties were just mainly uh, you know, getting using them to collect pictures to get feedback, et cetera, et cetera. Where I'm doing most of my forge testing and most of the hardcore research is my main um property up in the Columbus, Wisconsin area because I'm able to collect the data myself, which um, generally what we do is two to three times a year, we're doing scissors cut samples. And what that means is you actually take a scissors, yeah, I clip whatever forge is inside, um, and they call it a square, and, and it's gonna be hard to give a visual using words, but basically um, anything within a square foot area of the food plot will s uh, just cut the forges, we'll weigh it out, which helps us measure how much tonnage per you know per acre would be out of that forage. And then those uh green, uh fresh uh growing forges go into a you know ziploc bag, they go into a forge testing lab where we analyze for protein, mineral content and uh, and uh energy content. And then again, I'm able to share it on social media. Um, Not all data I'm I'm sharing to the general public because there's some research I'm doing that to protect my businesses that I'd rather wait a year or two to reveal the results. But some of those results are revealed to program members that are are allowed to have access on that O'Brien Educational Series page that I mentioned that's on Facebook. So most of the data, as far as growth, nutrition values, et cetera, et cetera, most of that is just getting collected from the one main education plot currently. Stay tuned for how that might change down the line. But as of this year, the rest of the properties are mainly, you know, visuals, pictures, you know, getting feedback on, hey, what's doing what in each location.
2: No, and I, I understand that it sounds like, um, you know, if you have actual boots on the ground feedback from your customers and all these other areas, um, that's one thing. But the fact that you're taking this stuff and growing it and professionally analyzing it, um, when you make claims, I would assume that your customers believe you. And that gives you kind of a, a, uh, a higher integrity than maybe, I don't know, I'd the, the seed from the feed mill or, or something like that, you know?
0: Well, in the industry, there's very little companies that are doing research. Uh, my whole life I've been doing research. My whole life has been involved around, you know, knowing, uh, you know, doing nutrition work for, for, your, uh, farmers and agronomy work where, um, where I need to know, we just can't use guesstimates and, and we need things to be as nutritious as they can be. So, um, my goal with, you know, these research facilities is when I give somebody a number, it's what it is. I'm not skewing it. I don't care if it tests low, high, whatever test. I want to learn and share with you guys and others what's actual numbers, not wild claims that somebody might post on social media, a company saying, hey, their is 37% protein which again is highly inaccurate. Uh it might test thirty seven percent protein for a day or two, but when I, you know, reveal results, they're all side by side comparison. People know when I collected the data, at what stage the data is collected. So it's unbiased. I want unbiased data because I never would sell anything that I wouldn't buy myself. And I never and I can sleep good at night. Like tonight, you know, when my boy and I go to bed. Knowing that anything I told you guys or anybody else during my day, you know, it's what I truly believe in versus, you know, hopes, dreams, gambling of my customers or you guys' you know successes, not me.
2: No, I think that that says a lot. Um, I think people who do business that way uh, seem seem to go a long way. Now, when you're doing this research, are you testing competitor seed as well?
0: Um, I have had uh, other options seed in a couple of my plots, and that's not going to be my focus moving forward anymore because and w- what we decided as a company is we, we don't really care what anybody else does. We only are worried about what we're doing, what we're selling, what we're testing, what we want to sell. And again, because, you know, I don't want to get in, a, in a, a bad-mouthing war Um I have yeah, planted the things that there that people seen that, you know, that, that didn't look very good, that didn't do very good, but that, that doesn't, that doesn't matter to me anymore. All I, you know, we want to just focus on the positives. We want to focus on, you know, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we offer. And again, what we, we truly believe what we offer, nobody else does, nor will they ever. And, you know, and that's why we kind of backed away from doing that. Yes. We've done it, but we don't want to do that anymore.
2: Okay. And no, that, that's, oh, go ahead, Jess.
3: Oh, no, I was going to say, you know, that's as a company and a former business owner, you know, that's a bold statement, but I like it. I mean, that, that's because a lot of companies don't think that way. You know, they're all out to bash each other, but I think the road you're going on is uh, noble and a good, good pass.
0: Well, and the one thing I haven't mentioned you guys is, I have worked for a couple distribution companies where we've had, where is my job with my, my customer base or uh, my, the sales force I was overseeing where I was supposed to push some of these other options products. But again, as I told you, that was really hard for me to do because again, I've always believed in science and I've always believed in, Hey, why I can't sell something that I wouldn't buy myself. And ultimately that's what led me to starting Grand Prairie outdoors and why it led me away from my two previous, um, you know, jobs. And um, I, 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 it was a great decision. And, again, I do not have to sell anything that I really don't want to sell and that I don't believe in, and it makes me a happy guy.
2: No, that's that's awesome. John, is this your only job, your, your only source of income right now? Is uh, Grandpa Ray Outdoors? Uh, you no,
0: know, actually I have a few businesses and that's probably why I'm so busy. So my main business is called O'Brien Agar Services. So again, I also do some uh, consulting for other nutrition consultants. I, if anybody's looking to get into the wildlife industry or if they're an agricultural company, I do do legal tags. I do create products for other companies and I do get some residual income from that. So. That's one facet of my life. The other area is I also sell seed by having a distribution company where I sell to the feed mills, farm stores, and agronomy centers, mainly in Wisconsin, you know, we're, we're talking more like the straight ingredients and that kind of thing. And then lastly, I have, uh, you know, Grandpa Outdoors. Um, well, actually, I shouldn't say that. Lastly, besides Grandpa Outdoors, is where I get on properties and I do the private consulting for people that want to improve their habitat for deer, uh, birds, uh, bees, whatever. So, you know, I basically got a few facets of my life. They kind of all overlap. So Grandpa Ray's is one of my ventures,
3: of many ventures. So who is Grandpa Ray? So I have a feeling there's a backstory. <laughs> yeah yeah I, some
0: people think I'm Grandpa Ray because even though I turned 50 this last week, <laughs> um, i I could be a grandpa, but I'm not. Um, but it was my my mom's dad, uh, the place where I grew up on the farm, um, the family farm, my mom and dad built their uh, house amongst the farm, and this is where a lot of my influences came from. My grandpa was a a big hunter conservationist, farmed his whole life. And so when I was looking to start my own wildlife business, you know, my focus has always been on growing things. And, of course, the abbreviations we use at times is GRO. So as I was sitting around one day trying to think of naming my business, you know, uh, GRO and Grandpa Ray Outdoors, it just kind of flew into my head. And so I named my business after my grandpa and he's the place where when I'm sitting out there hunting in the fall, in my bow stands or gun stand, you know, I'm looking at, you know, the land that he's worked in his life and he's alive or areas that he hunted, and that's where it all started. Oh, beautiful. Very cool.
2: Yeah, beautiful. Um, So you are a busy guy. You have multiple jobs and sources of income. I was just curious because it sounds like – uh you know, a lot of knowledge on the subject. Now, are you, I want to get back to the research, but since you know, like, all these, um, seed companies and feed mills, if you will, distribution areas, is that like a perfect outlet for you to, to find places to, to store, or I mean, to sell your seed or to, to hold your seed for you to sell the customers?
0: Yeah. I, I don't even know what I have right now for dealers because even though, even when I've been up here, getting away from things a little bit, I got noticed that we, we got another new dealer coming on board. So, um, I think I have 60, 70 dealers right now around the United States. And a lot of our focus is the independent, you know, the independent, whether it be a feed mill, farm store, uh, archery shop, agronomy center. Um, we have a variety of, you know, individuals that are Grand Prairie's dealers. And, you know, um, and, again, our focus is, you know, is the individual, uh, being independent. Um, we're the opposite of the wildlife industry. We do Our goal is not to get into the big box stores, to get into the chains, because we have a down-home feel. We want to uh, offer a unique product that's not a cheap, devalued product. And we also want people selling our product to have some knowledge behind it. So if somebody walks into that feed mill, if somebody walks into – the archery shop, um, that they're able to answer some questions versus, hey, the seat's sitting on a shelf, buy it, it's got a pretty bag, some celebrity endorsed it. That, that's not our approach. That's not the direction we're ever going to go. That's what makes us unique.
2: I would say so compared to the industry, definitely. Um now I think that'll hit home with a lot of people that, you know, you're just, you're you're trying to be honest and and a regular guy like like the rest of us. Um, I wanted to get back to the research side of things. One more question there on your all your properties or even on the Grand Ray property, is there anything new that you've come up with that we should know about? And I don't want any top secret stuff that, that you're not allowed to say unless you want to and you know indulge. But is there anything that you know maybe? most guys would miss, or, uh, hey, you should be yep. planting this maybe, and, and you know, we found out it has X amount of protein, but nobody plants it, or, you know, something, something along those lines.
0: Yeah, how about we start with that for beginners? So, um, and, and some of the uh, you know, some of these things I have posted on social media, so we'll start with certain species that people overlook that I do bring up. Um, things like plantain. Plantain confuses people because they think of the banana plant, but plantain looks a lot like chicory, but it's super amount of protein, a lot of mineral. Deer love it. Very overlooked. And again, it's an alternative. And again, it would remind people a little bit about how chicory would look, except for it's a little bit more squiggly of leaf.
2: Yeah, there That's were the people in that, Michigan that, complaining about that in a mix last year, saying that that shouldn't be in yeah, your food mix. But, but
0: but here's well, but here's where people are confused. There's a wild plantain that it can be hard to kill. It's a weed. It can be noxious. Deer don't like it. But a regular plantain is not noxious. It does not spread. It is a forb. It actually is planted by a lot of the successful farmers in New Zealand. I've used it for years. In a again, I do not put it in regular mixes found on a store shelf. Will I in
1: 2019?
0: Stay tuned. But our GRO program members do plant it, and again, it's just like any other forage. There's pros and cons of it. I love it. Most people plant it, love it. And again, just be educated. Don't confuse it with the weed plantain, and um and it really is not that hard to manage for those that have Perfect. any kind of experience at all with all this food plotting. So good, good, good points, and good questions, because you know people could be confused by that. Um, other species, um, rutabaga. People that have followed me for a while know that I prefer rutabaga over turnips. Um, they look a lot like a turnip, but they're a bigger bulb. They grow slower, which means they don't mature too quick because so many people plant turnips too early. Uh, that's a forge that I, I'm, I'm loving. Most of my customers love. I use it in a lot of mixes. Um, and other research coming down the pike, um, we're testing out some new varieties of chicory. We're going to be testing out a um, a variety of alfalfa that's really unique. Um, we released to our program members uh, this year, and again, it might be one more year before releasing it to the general public, uh, a hybrid clover that's super cold-tolerant, will last a long time huge amount of protein and mineral, which is the best of all worlds. And again, I will not mention the actual name of the variety, but in the Grand Parade world and on a label, we just call it G-R-O Long Lasting Clover. I know it sounds boring, but again, (laughs) you know, with my research and and, and things like that, uh, with the wildlife industry being a copycat industry, I'd rather not hand everything on a platter to people. And so, you know, when we're testing some of these new forges for the company I do, I generally will allow my program members to have it and know about it for a year or two in advance just to give me a couple years of experience and I can tell people, hey, we've been selling it, using it. We've had, here's the feedback on it before I let other companies uh, aware of it because there's a good number of companies that know what I'm doing. They know my research. They don't do their own research. They'd rather have me do the research, and again, I just want to protect myself by being vague with certain species that are, you know, a year or two away from being released to the general public.
2: Wow, now, that's very interesting, and I don't blame you for not wanting to hand out all your research, um, but how do you come up with with finding uh, that rutabaga is a, a good seed, or that, that hybrid clover? Where did you come up with this stuff?
0: Well, there's a number of things we haven't discussed yet, but I've been doing this since 91. There's forages that the wildlife industry hasn't focused on that I've used myself or my clients have used, you know, for many years. And, um, you know, there's certain things that I've tested, that, like fodder beets. People are aware of sugar beets in Michigan, but not many people are aware of fodder beets. You know, there's various species of um, overlooked clovers um, and some things that if I ever mentioned the word medics, most people would be like, what's a medic, but yep. I, I've just, I've just been in, you know, in the agronomy world for so long and I, I get so many people in my, uh, in my life that said, Hey, what do you know about this forge? Can you get this forge? Have you ever planted this forge? And, you know, we're, we're, and I'm just, I just have a lot of connections in the industry, um, with people that know me know of my research that um, either have been I've been fortunate enough whether you know have allowed me to test some products or I I just know where to go. I know who some of the big boys are in the industry. I know where there's forages that nobody has in the United States, and then it's just a matter of you know how do you get them over here? And again, it helps that I've been doing this for so many years. And um, like I said, I'll never sell anything that I haven't planted for one or two years myself. So I always got to, you know, look ahead towards the future to stay a step ahead of things. And and plus, it's fun. It's refreshing. And it's good to test forages and not not necessarily know what their outcomes are. That's what I look for.
2: Exciting. Now, um, when you said there's other things we haven't gotten into yet, what else are you thinking um, exactly?
0: Um, as far as looking ahead towards the future, some, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. There, so there, your, there,
2: yeah, your research stuff and, and that type of things. Yep, I'm all ears.
0: Yeah, so again, I mean, it's not rocket science. I mean, if people want to know what's going to be new coming down the pike, you generally look towards New Zealand because of their limited land base. And again, a lot of the forages we're using now in the wildlife industry were first used in the farming community in the United States. And a lot of those forages, again, came from the You know, from New Zealand. That's where a lot of the Nebraska research is done. That's where a lot of the, the clovers and new forage research is done. A lot of the new species research is not done in the United States. It's done overseas. So again, you know, you got to have some connections. You look at what's going on over there. You decide, Hey, is it worth trying over here? And then again, you just got to make a phone call to find people that are bigger boys than I am. To help get these forges back over to the United States, you know, breaking customs, and you know, and then we just test them out. So um, that, that's the sad part. There's very few companies in the United States that are doing new forge development anymore. There's not the money there, and um, and, and I'd love to I'd love to be that guy, but again, it takes a lot of revenue and a lot of uh, a lot of uh, you know um, cash to. You know, to do any research. And that's, and that's part of the problem.
2: Now, what type of forage and seeds will not make it across our borders?
0: Well, right now, and again, this, I, I will bring it up with you guys' podcast, but I don't talk about it. I won't post it. I won't write about it. But there is, uh, there's a lot of people ask, well, what do you got that, can you spray Roundup on different brassicas? And again, the answer is no. But there is chemicals overseas, there is forages overseas that are herbicide tolerant. Again, I didn't say Roundup ready, Roundup, you know, tolerant, but I said, you know, um, uh, herbicide tolerant. So, you know, wow. are we, I'm guessing we're three, four years away from having some more herbicide tolerant um, forages come over to the United States because they're over there. They're overseas, we just haven't had them approved yet, and that's not all bad. You know, it takes years, and I don't know if it's oh, okay. five years, seven years, or what it is, but you probably see down the pike some herbicide-resistant forages. I can't bring them in yet. It's because they're not approved by the United States government. So stay tuned on that one.
3: What's oh, the wow. agency
0: called that actually approves the
3: seed? Do you know?
0: Um, what is the agency that approves the seed that could be moved into the United States? Well, there's all the FDA, you know, uh, regulations, and there's also the USDA. So the United States Department of Ag, and then also the FDA, especially when you're talking about anything with chemicals and things like that. So those would be your two biggest regulatory
3: agencies in the United States. Yeah, I didn't know if, like, the F- FDA dabbled in, like, seeds, but, no, it's cool. It's interesting. Yep. I think a lot of people just don't understand where these hybrids and actually different seeds are coming from. You know, they might see a certain clover that they've never seen before, and all of a sudden it's sitting at tractor supply shelves. You know, I, I don't think people grasp where that seed's actually coming from. Cause well, I in, tell you in the United
0: truth. States, most seed is all coming from, you know, Oregon and, and Washington. And, again, you see so many different types of Radishes, turnips, clovers in different bags on store shelves. The thing that people don't realize is most of that's all the same genetics grown by the same people, put in a different bag, and and with a different name, put on that variety of seed. People don't realize it. And again, even like things like radish, most of the radishes grown in the United States are grown by five growers in the Willamette Valley. And again, when people talk about, hey, look at this radish, look at that radish, and you know, I, I would post you know, research by Michigan State or Minnesota guys like me. People do not get that it's all the same. It's all the same genetics for the most part, grown by the same guys in one little area. And again, the wildlife industry small, the seed world small. You know, you uh, the average guy out there does not understand how few of species are actually grown out there. And how the amount of growers uh, that are out there are are way smaller list than what most people would ever imagine.
3: Well, now, do seed companies, I mean, if you're going to have two radishes and call one radish A, one radish B, I mean, do they have to follow any guidelines that the characteristics or genetics of that seed, like a percentage of it has to be different?
0: Um, yeah, so, again, you know, most radishes in the wildlife industry are basically daycon, And there are some exceptions. I'm one of those guys that sell a hybrid radish, but for all intents and purposes, most you know, radishes are daikon. Most turnips are purple-top turnips. So the term I will throw out there is because they're not proprietary, that they're generally considered, the term you use is VNS, which means variety not stated. So most seeds yep. that's not a specific hybrid. So let's just say a variety of clover sold by, you know, X, Y, Z wildlife Company. Let's just call it, you know, um, gopher, you know, medium red clover. Um, you know, that would be specific, but most forages in the wildlife industry are actually not specific varieties, or maybe they the genetics started that way, but you cannot guarantee it anymore because... You know the people, the growers didn't. You know, go through the certification process and the screening process. You know, every year in some cases, you know, the, it isn't worth it for them to do it anymore. You know, because their product is so devalued and so many people don't really care. You know, unfortunately, you know um, about you know hybrids. You know, corn farmers, bean farmers, they understand the importance of hybrids, but most people that are buying a bag of wildlife seed it's the furthest thing from their mind. They understand it. They don't appreciate it. They you know, don't understand the difference. So um that's why they added value seeds are going by the wayside. Growers don't grow them anymore because they're not getting the extra money that they really should be getting to grow specific hybrids and in genetics.
2: Hmm. Interesting. Now, if somebody did care about what type of, clover or radish they were getting, how do they go ahead and look that up? Uh, maybe you take a look at yeah. the, the seed tag on a bag somewhere. How do I tell, oh, this came from the valley of the five different growers in mm-hmm. Oregon, or or how do I tell that my clover is a badass clover and not just a regular clover? If I can. Yeah, I know most a lot of people don't hear. You're about. not you're
0: not going to develop a research, but I'll give you a couple examples you could. Sure. So, for example, you see people post quite a bit about Durana clover.
2: Okay.
0: And again, you know, it, 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 it you know, just a specific variety. And a lot of people around the United States use it. And you can look up to see who developed that product. And you could look up, and there are some universities that have done trials with different brasses, clovers, et cetera, et cetera. And again, and from what I know, you know, there's another variety of clover. That is grown by that same company that I, that actually in a lot of independent trials has done better. But yet, because of wildlife industry, people saw the word, the name Durana, Durana, Durana. They think it's better. They like it. And again, um, you know, you, you can, you know, there's very few um, companies and, uh, and universities that are doing research on specific varieties. But if you do a Google search, um, you could find some stuff out there. Um, generally, the the universities that are doing most of the research are from the south. Um, you're seeing Auburn, you're seeing University of Florida, you're seeing Mississippi State, and then at places like University of Kentucky. You know, so the, most of the independent, you know, data you could find from companies on this, especially on the clovers, they're, you know, they're, they're university research.
2: Okay. Um, that's exactly what I wanted to know. Now, is there and, any... And,
0: and again, you just got to, with the, with the Google world now that we all live in, you know, you just got to keep searching, keep searching, eventually you can find it, but again, from my standpoint, um, you know, I, I've thought about it. I mean, I've thought about putting Alice Clover next to the Duranda Clover next to the Clover in that, and again, you know, down the line, that's something we might be looking more towards, but what it all comes down to from a guy like me is I need money. Because it costs a lot of money to do this kind of research to get into even more detail, more specific. And so, um, you know, if somebody out there was generous, and if I had more, you know, and things keep progressing at Grand Prix Outdoors, then I'm able to do more research on specific varieties. And again, you know, because it's, it's very it's, it's the biggest expenses are the fertilizers, not the seed. And then also when you're sending the steps the forges in. You know that gets pretty pricey too and I have a limited budget you know I don't have an unlimited budget yet so
2: yeah m- maybe next week right
0: yeah yeah and that and that's why we don't see many wildlife companies doing the kind of research they do because it just can get to be pretty expensive and plus you know there's very few wildlife companies like you asked me a question earlier like what do I do for a living is that all I do and again grand parade I you know I could just do that for a living but very few wildlife companies out there the individuals like myself do it as their main job. I mean, you got to move a lot of seed to make it a full-time career and most people don't.
2: No, that's, that's very true. Um, the few that I know, um, yourself included now, uh, that is definitely not their full-time all the time job. So I can see how, you know, the, the time it takes just to run a, a small company after your day to day job, let alone one that involves research or or something like that. So um, you know, hats off mm-hmm. to you for really going after that. Now is there Well and for
0: me, I mean that, that could be just a full time job for somebody. Right. My perfect world right. I would love to just, you know, put in my education plots, research plots and, and do research. That would be my passion, maybe when I grew up. <laughs>
2: Well, maybe you can retire early. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I want to retire by the time I'm, like, 51, so you should be pretty close, right? <laughs>
0: then I'd have a hell of a year in 2019, so <laughs> well,
2: maybe. Oh, that's great, Keep spreading the word. All right, all right. Uh, you know, is there anything else on the, the research or the educational side of things that you want to cover um, before we move on?
0: Yeah, I think that pretty much covers it. I just always uh, want to say to people, you know, do your own research. Don't believe what you see online. Don't believe what a celebrity says because most celebrities are getting paid to say what they do. Um, but, you know, ask people, you know, and, and again, in marketing 101, um, you know, no matter what product somebody's selling, don't be afraid to ask why. Why should I plant the seed? Why should I use that seed for my own situation? And again, you know, because why? And the answer should be not just because your buddy, not just because your neighbor said it's great, but you know, just take a little bit of time, do a little research and, and again, find a good fit for your own unique situation. That's my biggest thing I want to get through to people and why I do the research I do is, okay, you're going to use any of these parade mixes because, and, and I have a lot of of a lot of answers, and the research helps it.
2: No, that's great. Um, and if anybody else wanted to learn more and ask you these questions, I guess we are kind of run up on time. I figure we'd start getting towards the end here. Your program... That you have that people can subscribe to. Can you tell us more about that and, and how people can, can join and ask you questions and listen to your seminars bi-weekly, et cetera?
0: You yeah, have a program membership. It's $20 a year. They get a monthly newsletter. They get 10% off all their orders throughout the year. They get access to any of these program member only mixes, which, you know, when we test things out, for a year in advance, we then will release some, some of these forges or forge mixes to the public a year or two before release. So program members basically get a sneak preview of some of this new, unique uh, technology or forges. Um, you also would get access to the private uh, O'Brien Educational Series Facebook page, which also has forums, which also is where I conduct live seminars. And if somebody happens to miss the live seminar, they're still on there. People can go back and watch them as many times as they want, whenever they want. And then you also get VIP accesses to things that I mentioned, like Deer School, which again, if you're a program member, you get first access to Deer School 2019 in Michigan. Um, because again, if you know, we limit the amount of participants to certain events. Um, and then you'd also get VIP invites to Grandpa Ray Fest, which is a fundraising event we do every year in uh, in February. So there's all kinds of benefits to be a Grandpa Ray's program member. You can sign up online on my website, which is com, or you could call me, six zero eight two three five zero six two eight, 628 or you can email us at grandparays365 at gmail.com, and you can sign up and start getting all the benefits.
2: That's great. And you have a website too, right? Yeah,
0: on the website is www.grandparayoutdoors.com. And I have a lot of the blogs and videos
3: on there as well.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, you have, you have blog posts going back to, I don't even remember what year it was. Um, I know that I think I first heard about you on, I think it was, maybe com years back. Somebody on the forums mm-hmm. had mentioned Grandpa Ray Outdoors, and that's where I, I think I very first heard about you. I mean, I'm talking six, seven, eight years ago. You've been doing this for a while, so. Yeah, yeah.
0: You know, that could be. I, I, I mean, I've been on a lot of different sites over the years, and generally I go on there just, uh, you know, people ask questions and they want some advice. You know, I do give tons and tons of free advice, and, um, uh, but if for people that want a little bit more, we can do that as well.
2: Awesome. Well, uh, thank you very much for coming on. Jesse, do you have anything else on your end?
3: No, I'm kind of just sitting here soaking it all in because, um, you know, I don't know if you know, me and Jared are both in sales and distribution, and it's kind of cool just to learn the little background about how we're getting the seed and where it's coming from and the distribution part of it. Pretty interesting. Well, I'm glad I gave you guys some insight
0: tonight.
2: Yeah, John, uh thank you very much again for coming on. I know you're I know you're busy, uh, you know, you're at the hotel with your with your boy. I want to be respectful of your time. So thanks so much. Is there anything else that you want to cover before we go?
0: Um I think we, we got to uh, appreciate you guys having me on. And uh again, don't be afraid to you know reach out to us. You can call, drop an email, check us out on the website. And again, um, you know, um, at least uh, look at what we're doing, uh, at least consider, you know, um, you know, us as an option. And for those that are happy with their own, you know, seed company or what you're, you know, currently doing, you know what, you want like a little more um, advice and help, starting with the soil, um, consider getting a hold of me if you want a property visit at some point in time, and I'd love to work with you.
2: Perfect. Well, thanks, John. We appreciate it, and uh, let's talk again soon, okay? Thanks so much again, John, for coming on, and uh, thank you, more importantly, to the listeners for tuning in this week. We have our normal spiel here on how you can find out more about us. Uh, HabitatPodcast.com has all of our episodes. Um, lots of comments on there about other episodes we can learn from. Um, Habitat Podcast Facebook, just search that on Facebook, you'll see us pop up. That's more of a place where you can see pictures and, uh, you know, see some of the faces uh, to the names we talk about, some of the projects we're working on. It's kind of cool because you can actually see them in depth there uh, with the pictures and, and comments and feedback from everybody else. Um, we'd like to have you all go on iTunes and leave us a review, um, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, all different places where you can hear our podcast. All of our good reviews really help and add up and push us to the top of that podcast list, which is like a million different podcasts. But, you know, the better the reviews, you know, the, the higher we rate and then the more or the easier it is for guys like us to find the podcast and, and try to benefit from it. So please go ahead and do that. And just thanks again for listening. I'd also like to thank our partner at peckermax.com. The Peckermax line of Call to Packers. Um, Picking mine up here this week, so very excited about that. Just in time for food plot season. Uh, If you guys are interested in Call to Packers, look them up online. Lincoln can have one shipped right to your door. Uh, And you get 10% off for mentioning the Habitat podcast. Uh, Secondly, a new partner, which is actually our other group of guys, if you will, Outdoor Devotion. That is... Me and a bunch of my buddies who film our hunts um, and put them online for the world to see just so we can kind of savor those memories, you know, from here on out. So we've been filming for, I don't know, five, six years now, and and we like to show real self-filmed hunting. That's our, our tagline there. So if you're bored at work like I uh, can be sometimes, I'll normally pull up some YouTube and check things out, but Outdoor Devotion... You Google that or go to outdoor-devotion.com, you can see all of our hunts uh, where we personally film our own hunts in real areas like Michigan, Ohio, Nebraska, Missouri, etc. So, anywho, thanks again for listening, everybody. We'll be back again soon. Got a bunch of good guests coming down the pipeline, so stay tuned and get out there and enjoy your woods. And, uh, you know, good luck becoming better habitat managers. Thanks.